1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. I'm at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. And maybe all five should be about the Fed because it is Fed Day, and investors say today could be the day the Fed moves toward rate hikes. Futures, they are flat. Also in D.C., an 11th-hour push as Congress votes to raise the debt ceiling just hours ahead of a possible default. China tensions on the rise. President Biden eyeing blacklisting eight more Chinese companies. Does Tao will Beijing respond? Fighting COVID or big corporate overreach? The drastic steps Google is taking when it comes to vaccination enforcement. And Elon Musk is at it again on Twitter and once again going after Elizabeth Warren. It is all happening on this Wednesday, December 15th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon or good evening and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Happy Wednesday. Happy Fed Day. Let's get right now to the markets and your money and futures. Well, they're not doing a whole lot. We weren't expecting a whole lot because it is the Fed Day. An interest rate call expected today at 2 p.m. No hike is expected, but the language j may use today about when those hikes may come and how many there could be next year is the key to, well, everything. So we'll wait for 2 p.m. This after another down day for the market that saw small caps get hit hard and technology get hit even harder. The Nasdaq yesterday falling more than 1%. It's third day down day, rather, in the last four. Names like Microsoft and Adobe, which have been red hot, leading the move lower. The Nasdaq is now off more than 6% from its all-time record highs. We also continue to watch Crypto, After some of the wild moves that we have seen, even for crypto and things like Dogecoin and Ripple yesterday, most of the major cryptos, they are higher right now. Bitcoin back above 48,000. Oil, it is not higher. It is lower, down just under 1% at risk of falling back below $70 a barrel. And of course... Got to look at bonds. When you talk about the Fed, you always have to talk about bonds and treasuries. Well, again, like equity futures, not doing a whole lot. But hey, Scott Miner to Guggenheim, if you've heard from on the show many times, making that call about interest rates and yields coming down. He's been right. Benchmark 10-year yield sitting still below 1.5%, even with the idea of rate hikes next year. That is pretty doggone remarkable and something I'm not sure this market at any time in history has ever seen. All right, let's get a check on what is happening overseas. And no doubt they are also waiting to hear from our Fed. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with the trade. Juliana, is the Fed on your radar all the way over there?
2: Brian, good morning. It certainly is. Investors no doubt bracing for today's Federal Reserve meeting, which is a bit of a warm-up to tomorrow's major central bank day here in Europe. We've got the Bank of England, the ECB, the SNB over in Switzerland all coming out tomorrow. So investors are going to be watching very closely today what happens in the U.S. In terms of the trading session, the majority of European stocks are trading higher. We've got the CAC 40 over in France trading about 7 tenths of a percent up, leading the way. The underperformer this morning, FTSE 100. 100, down about four-tenths of a percent. Now, this coincides with a bounce in sterling this morning. We got some key inflation data out of the U.K. this morning, very crucial ahead of tomorrow's Bank of England meeting, um, where investors are going to be very closely eyeing how they frame this data. Will it actually lead them to raise interest rates tomorrow? They had been expecting a rate rise. Then they expected them to hold steady in the face of the Omicron variant. Now, this inflation data making their decision all the more difficult. 5.1 percent inflation in the month of November that was ahead of expectations and well ahead of what we saw in October from a sector perspective this is what the picture looks like in Europe we've got technology leading the way higher 1.3 percent autos utilities and real estate on the downside oil and gas basic resources and retail within the retail basket we've got H&M and Inditex Zara's owner trading lower this morning both companies came out with updates which seem to have left investors wanting for more Brian we'll hand it back over to you
1: all right. Juliana Tattlebaum in London. Juliana, have a great day. Thank you very much. All right. Meantime, here back home, Congress burning the midnight oil to narrowly avoid a U.S. debt default. Again, Sylvana now is back at CNBC HQ with that and some of this morning's other top headlines. Sylvana, good morning.
3: Good morning to you, Brian. Brian, that's right. So the House passing that bill to raise the federal debt limit by $2.5 trillion and a 221 to 209 vote just before midnight last night. The measure avoids a default and prevents another clash over the debt ceiling until after next year's midterm elections. Adam Kinzinger of Illinois was the only Republican to vote with Democrats to pass the bill. The Senate approved the measure 50 to 49 along party lines earlier in the day. The bill now heads to the president's desk for his signature. Meanwhile, Uber is looking to sell stakes in what it calls non-strategic assets, including its holdings of Beijing-based DD Global. Speaking with analysts, CEO Dara Khashrowsahi called the Chinese market a tough one with little transparency. Uber pulled out of China in 2016 after burning through more than a billion dollars a year due to a price war with Didi. Uber owns nearly 13 percent of Didi, according to a June filing. And Tesla CEO Elon Musk getting into it with Senator Elizabeth Warren on Twitter over taxes. Warren calling out Musk in a tweet calling the tax code rigged saying it should change, quote, so the person of the year will actually pay taxes and stop freeloading off everyone else. To that, Musk, in a series of tweets, responded that he will pay more in taxes than any American in history this year. Musk adding, don't spend it all at once. Oh, wait, you already did. Musk's tax bill for 2021 could exceed $10 billion if he exercises all his options due to expire next year. Though hard to say whether that would be a record, it's certainly one of the biggest payments ever, Brian.
1: Can't we all aspire to have a $10 billion tax bill, Savannah? Right? If you have a $10 billion right? tax bill, I'd say that that's one of the, what they call it, a good problem.
3: Right? <laughs> I would think so.
1: <laughs> yeah, how exactly. much did you pay in taxes this year? $10 billion. Well, How much did you pay? Zero. All yeah. right. Savannah, thank you very much. You got it. Having a conversation with myself of what's new. All right, back now to the markets. And it is decision day for the Fed. The central bank widely expected to speed up the end of its bond buying program, known as the taper, and signal a shift to rate hikes next year. All to try to fight inflation, which is spiking. Speaking to CNBC yesterday, Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan says it is no mystery what the Fed will do. It is more of a question of when and how fast.
4: What the Fed looks at is, you know, is this a temporary thing in a in sense that the stimulus gets spent and it reverts to normal? And what you're seeing is this is hanging on. So I think they know they have, they have to do their job. Chair Powell has been clear about it uh, two weeks ago in front of Congress. He was clear about it. So how they do it, it, will be a judgment based on what they know at the time, but everything would support that they can start to normalize monetary policy. They've said it, and they'll start doing it uh, probably tomorrow.
1: All right. So let's talk more now about this, the Fed, inflation, the economy and your money with our friend Phil Orlando, chief equity market strategist at Federated Hermes. Phil, it's great to have you back on an important time right now because we have been rightly focused on COVID and the pandemic for the better part of two years when it comes to, well, everything. Does the market focus now shift or has it already shifted to the Fed?
5: Ryan, good morning. Thank you very much for having me back on. Um, The Fed right now is front and center. You look at the inflation data we saw just in the last couple of days. Uh, We got wholesale inflation yesterday, the PPI. We're running at 6.9% core year over year. The CPI we got last Friday, 4.9% core year over year. And then the core PC is probably running at about the 4.5% level. Those numbers are more than twice what the Fed wants to see. So what we think we're going to see this afternoon at 2.30 is a significant acceleration of the tapering program that the Fed laid out just a month ago. Uh, They've been tapering at a pace of $15 billion a month in November and December. We think they doubled that to $30 billion a month in January, February, and March. That means the taper will be completed by the end of the first quarter. And what that sets us up, we think, is for a series of quarterly quarter point rate increases over the balance of calendar 22 and calendar 23. So by the end of 23, interest rates, uh, Fed funds rate level could be 175 basis points higher than they are now. And I think that's exactly what the market's focused
1: on. 1.75%. Now, the the big question, Phil, would be this. Can stocks, and I say stocks meaning like generally the S&P 500 or groups of stocks, can they survive and thrive during a series of rate hikes or Will it knock the knees out of high multiple fast growth companies like some of the favorite tech names of maybe your clients and the CNBC viewers?
5: I think you're spot on. So stock market was up 25% this year. We're up 117% since the bottom of the market in March. That's not what we expect going forward. Uh, earnings next year will be up a more pedestrian 8 to 10%. Stocks, I think, are going to track that up about 10%, our target for the full year is, is 5,300. The, the key issue is gonna be what to buy. The value stocks are, are trading at about 17 times forward earnings. The, the technology stocks, the growth stocks, about twice that, 34 times earnings. And it's these value stocks that have the pricing power that can increase their prices, increase their margins based upon the higher wages, shipping costs, commodity costs. So it's the cheaper value stocks with pricing power Uh, In the U.S. market, along with small cap and international stocks, uh, you've got to go cheap here. And and I think it's the more attractive names that are going to provide some some alpha next year. Is the
1: is the just juggernaut run of super cap tech, high valuation, high multiple. Nobody looks at their balance sheet. No one looks their income statement. Just buy the stocks and hold your nose. Is that overfill? Are we going back? I mean, to the like you said, the days of just you want slow and steady, you want sick of goals. We've said it, boring. Maybe the new sexy.
5: Well, you've certainly what what I the picture that I've just painted is one for much greater volatility next year in terms of what what is Fed policy actually going to be, uh, and and how will uh, the economy respond? How will the financial markets respond? So the the, the much higher beta, higher PE technology stocks we think are likely to be more at risk than the, the lower beta, lower PE, higher dividend value stock. So uh, I, I think you've got to play a little bit of defense here as you look forward to next year. We think it'll be a good year, but, but value, small cap, and international, uh, we think will be the winners over the course of the calendar year.
1: Got it. Value, small cap, international, some ideas for our stocking with a very festive Phil Orlando, I love the tree, love everything about it. It puts me in the Christmas spirit, Phil, and we appreciate it. Thanks for getting up early and coming on.
5: Thank you, and Merry Christmas, Brian.
1: A Merry Christmas as well, Phil. Thank you. All right, when we come back, hope on the horizon in the fight against COVID. Top biotech analyst Jeff Porges is here with his take on two potential new treatments that are not getting a lot of attention. Plus, tensions rising between the U.S. and China The White House moves to blacklist nearly a dozen more Chinese companies. We are live in Beijing with reaction. And then Google taking extreme measures, some say maybe too extreme, when it comes to vaccination requirements for its employees. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns right after this.
6: What does it mean to be rich?
1: All right, welcome back. Well, COVID case counts, get all the headlines. They probably shouldn't. Outcomes should be the probably only or main metric right now, not our opinion. You've heard that from two leading doctors on this very show in just the last two days. But they still do. And lost in those case counts is some new hope for better outcomes, meaning fewer hospitalizations and deaths. What really matters? First, Pfizer announcing its COVID treatment pill is safe and effective at staving off Severe disease among the high-risk group. Company seeing its antiviral pill reducing the risk of hospitalization and death by 88%, even in unvaccinated people if given within five days of the onset of symptoms. And there is another treatment possibility from a company called Bree Biosciences. Let's talk about both now with Jeff Porges. He is director of therapeutics research, senior biotech analyst at SVB Lyrink and someone we're pleased to get back on the program, Jeff. Whenever you send out a note like this, I I read it. We appreciate you coming on the program because I I know we're Omicron focused, maybe as we should be, who knows, case counts, whatever. Lost under that is some new hope. First, talk to us about the Pfizer
7: pill. It it looks good, but is it going to be approved? Well, look, I'm pretty confident the Pfizer pill will be approved. We had a bit of a debate about this today. As you know, the Merck-Madison-Molnupravir, went to an adcom, and the adcom sort of marginally voted in favour of approval, but that is still not approved even under an EUA. Pfizer's drug, on the other hand, has much better efficacy. It's very reassuring to see that efficacy hold up with further observation. Uh, We're almost certain that this will be approved, if not by the end of this year, which is only weeks away, uh, the very beginning of next year. Um, Pfizer said that they can supply 180,000 courses in 2021, that is in the next uh, 15 days or so. But next year, they have 80 million courses uh, of capacity. And I think there's going to be a tremendous demand for this. We're going to see governments buying it. We're going to see uh, individuals trying to get it through their drugstore. Uh, we think they could well sell out most of that 80 million courses, which would be, would be quite yeah. remarkable.
1: Okay. So this would compete with molupiravir from, from Merck. Talk to us about what this treatment is, because as I understand the Merck treatment, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong, it's complicated stuff. You got to take a lot of pills very quickly right after symptoms or exposure. With the Pfizer pill, we know you've got to start it fairly quickly once you get exposure Mm -hmm. or symptoms. What does that mean? Is it, you know, oh my God, my, my wife tested positive. I've got a stuffy nose. I better take 10 pills a day. What does the regimen look like right now?
7: Yeah, now the Pfizer regimen is pretty straightforward. Um, they'll be taking, uh, you'll be taking 300 milligrams of, of the active protease inhibitor and the 100 milligrams of, of booster. Um, I, I believe the course is going to be twice a day. So it will be little blister packs. Um, they're already manufacturing those blister packs. Uh, it won't be a big treatment burden. Uh, and as you, you point out, it's a very different class of medicines to the Mark drug. There will be some people who won't be able to take it. As you know, the, the drug Rotonavir is a PK booster and it's designed to alter liver metabolism. So there are certain drugs that you're going to have to be careful with if you're already on those medications. Diabetes medicines, you know, heart uh, antiarrhythmics, uh, medicines for blood pressure, quite a few different drugs yeah. we'll have to be cautious about. But nevertheless, this is going to be pretty easy to take. And as you pointed out, even within five days of symptom onset, if you start the course, you will get significant benefits. So that's a reasonably wide margin. So you get symptoms, you get a positive test, um, you call your physician, um, you go to the pharmacy yeah. and pick it up. got going to be pretty widely distributed. That,
1: that could be an absolute game changer. Or right, quickly, let's talk about a company I've actually never heard of before reading your notes, Jeff, and that is Bree Biosciences. This has got some positive data, does it not? But, it, but again, it's very early. It's phase one. The drug is not even named yet. It's an antibody cocktail off their proposed HIV treatment. What is Brie doing?
7: So Brie is the leading infectious disease oriented biotech company in China. As you know, there's been some tremendously successful um, biopharma companies coming out of China. I'm thinking about Beijing or Labs or IMAB. There's, there's quite a few of them now. And and Bree's purely focused or almost exclusively focused on infectious diseases. They have an antibody cocktail that was actually developed in China. It's two antibodies, much like the Regeneron cocktail. And the data they had over the last couple of days suggests that they still maintain very high levels of efficacy uh, against the Omicron variant. Now, as you know, there's all sorts of assays. And this is only the pseudovirus assay, not the true viral neutralization assay. Um, But they look better than Regeneron. They look better than Lilly, at least in that assay. They're probably in the same range as the GSK-Vir antibody. So that means they're going to have legs. They can make a million courses next year. That could go up if the Chinese government decides to step in and and, uh, buy a a large quantity, uh, either for treatment in China or as a strategic reserve.
1: That is some good news. Bree, a little bit earlier, Pfizer, they've got the the ability, they've got the scale, they've got the manufacturing, and it looks like they may have the treatment. Some good news when we could really use it. Jeff Porges, SPB Larry. Jeff, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, on deck. A former Trump official officially in contempt of Congress. Another kind of face-to-face is Vladimir Putin meeting with China's Xi Jinping today and a record-breaking night for the NBA. Those full stories. When Worldwide Exchange returns with Dow Futures up a touch. We're back after this.
7: Today's big number $9.5 trillion. That's how much total global ETF assets have reached so far this year, according to data from Morningstar. That's more than double the level at the end of 2018.
1: All right. Welcome back or welcome and good Wednesday morning. There's a lot going on outside of the world of money and business. So let's find out some of those key headlines with our friend NBC's Philip Menet in New York with that. Good morning, Philip.
4: Hi, Brian. Good morning. Yeah. Overnight, the House voted to hold Mark Meadows in contempt. The former chief of staff to President Trump defied a subpoena from the committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Meadows refused to testify, citing executive privilege claimed by Mr. Trump. Now the Justice Department must decide whether or not to pursue criminal contempt charges. And President Biden is visiting Kentucky today, touring storm damage in the hard hit town of Mayfield. He'll also meet with local officials on the impacts of extreme weather. A powerful storm is drenching parts of Southern California, while up north in Soda Springs, they were pummeled by snow. Look at that. That is Interstate 80, shut down in both directions for several hours. That storm wreaking havoc on the mountain passes. Speed control limits, speed limit controls, rather, are in effect for the Sierras. And finally, the NBA has a new three-point king. Golden State Warriors superstar Steph Curry sank his 2,974 three-pointer passing Ray Allen for the most in NBA history. Steph Curry has now hit a three in 152 straight games. And Brian, he's five games away from that record, too, a record, by the way, that he owns with 157 consecutive games with a three. Safe to say, I mean, this is the greatest shooter of all time. Uh,
1: It's bittersweet. Philip, I'll tell you why I, I love Steph Curry. I'm glad he's succeeding, but I don't know if you know this. His dad was a Virginia Tech Hokie, my school. He wanted to go to Tech. He was that, that was his top choice. Virginia Tech apparently turned him down. Said he was I don't know too small or not good enough. He went to Davidson College. Of course, lit it up in the NCAA tournament. We know what he's become. It's, so it's a little bittersweet. Can you imagine turning down Steph Curry?
4: <laughs> uh, I mean. It's like the it's what like a that, uh, It's like that old story of that high school coach that cut Michael Jordan, right, from the freshman team. I, uh, regrets. Yeah.
1: Whoops. <laughs> Philip Mena, thank you very much. Oh, yeah, well, that. it's been so great. Say Steph Curry, a hokey. All right, anyway, straight ahead. <sighs> now I'm sad. Digging into what could have been a few rough days for tech. Is it the sign of a healthy market or is it the sign of more losses to come? We'll be right back. The Fed taking center stage. J. Powell prepping for potential rate hikes. So what does all that mean to all those big tech stocks you've loved for years? Biden versus Beijing. As the White House puts pressure on China with more companies put on a blacklist, we are live in Beijing. And your morning RBI and the under-the-radar stock trend you can say investors have really developed an appetite for lately. It is Wednesday, December 15th, Fed Day. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back and good Wednesday morning, just about 530 on the East Coast of the United States. Thanks for getting up early and joining us. Get on that Peloton or exercise machine and ride. And why don't we get right now to the stocks, the stocks, stocks and stock market futures, he said, We're not seeing a big move in stock futures, and why would we? We have the Federal Reserve meeting coming up at 2 p.m. That's when you get the interest rate call. That's what everybody's going to wait on, and the markets, you can see, are in a bit of a holding pattern as well. If you want the numbers, Dow futures up a tick. NASDAQ futures are down a tick. Bonds also in focus ahead of the Fed, because even with pretty much everybody expecting one or some rate hikes next year, bonds, government bonds anyway, posting a negative real return. Ten-year yields well below the rate of inflation at just 1.43%. Now, that Fed policy calls out at 2 p.m. Eastern time, followed by a Powell press conference at 2.30. The central bank dealing with the highest levels of American inflation in 40 years. And it's getting ready to make what could be a dramatic, maybe the most dramatic policy shift ever. And that could involve what we call the twin towers, the two T's, if you will, tapering and tightening they're different first the taper a cnbc fed survey predicts the fed will speed up ending its monthly buying of bonds remember that was put in place to help what the fed thought would be a weak economy when the pandemic hit whoops to 30 billion dollars per month they may also signal when they could start to raise rates the other t tightening the prospects of higher rates hitting tech stocks especially hard in fact since Powell hinted he would stop characterizing higher inflation as transitory, maybe the third T, back on November 30th, tech overall has had some trouble, particularly software stocks, which are down roughly 8%, semiconductors down 5%, and Cathie Wood's ARK Innovation Fund down 13%. The reason? Because low rates and cheap money make investors feel more comfortable owning stocks of companies with high valuations, higher rates can often, not always, but often do the opposite and send investors selling. Well, the Fed's aggressive about face calling into question sky-high valuations on many tech names. For example, J.P. Morgan reducing its rating on Adobe, Akamai, and a dozen other software stocks yesterday, citing, you got it, valuations, and whether these companies can grow cash fast enough to keep up with expectations. Let's talk about that and our expectations for next year with Richard Kramer, senior analyst and founder of RTA Research. Richard, good to have you back on again. Uh, Do higher rates, assuming we get them because things can change. But assuming we get them, does that crush tech next year?
9: Uh, I wouldn't say so. If you look at big tech there's about $300 billion of cash on their balance sheets. So there's certainly no issue with them in terms of being able to raise capital or put capital to work. Uh, What it does do is affect the DCF valuations that go into justifying the stocks where you need to look out to 2030 to generate the cash flows, which in turn justify the valuations. And a lot of those names are owned because people believe they are secular, secular or structural winners in some sort of shift in the market. So what you'll see is a bit of separating the wheat from the chaff uh, in, in some of those high multiple names. But it doesn't really affect the position of the big tech names very much.
1: So is it really then all about looking through and looking at companies that, to your point, Richard, have a lot of cash on the balance sheet? Because there's, there's some names that don't. I mean, should we put an Adobe and an Akamai, which we just, you just heard us talk about, J.P. Morgan, in the same basket as a Microsoft or an Apple?
9: Well, there was this huge discussion of Apple earlier in the week when they crossed briefly the $3 trillion Rubicon, which was completely irrelevant. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just a number. There are other issues with Apple in which there's a huge buyer in the market of Apple every year called Apple. They're buying back $100 billion of their own stock because they generate so much cash <laughs> and they clearly can't put that to work in large-scale and so as long as a company like Apple is continuing to recycle its own cash into its own equity, it puts a floor under the stock or at least gives it some support, as, lo- as well as the fact that institutional investors are somewhat underweight Apple. Now, you see the similar case with Oracle, but they're only generating about $6 billion of cash here to date, but they bought back $15 billion of stock. And-, and one wonders how long that can keep going on. So I think you have to separate the companies that are generating cash and putting it to work either in their own businesses or supporting their own stock with the ones who would somehow be reliant on being able to raise further capital where the cost of capital is going up.
1: So you think Apple's a safe bet?
9: Well, I think when you look at the, the obviously, Brian, as you know, we can't talk about recommendations on, 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 on programs like this, but um, when we have a buy rating on Apple, and, uh, and and when you look at a stock like that, you can see fairly predictable cash flows. And I think the surprising thing about Apple, when you look at over the long-term is how their business is more recurring revenue than, uh, than many people assume, not just because of the services, but because of the propensity of people to stick with the brand. And you see that in names like Microsoft, yep. you see that in names like Google. So they have better visibility looking out to 22 and many years beyond then people maybe have given them credit for. Well, let's face it, for most of the early part of this year, the likes of the big banks that you cited weren't talking about valuation. They were saying valuation doesn't matter, just chase chase the new secular winners.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I look, I I get my bill and I finally looked at it, this Apple One iCloud product, it's like $36 a month. I'm like, basically, Apple has turned into a utility for me. Richard Kramer, Arate Research, great points there, the biggest pile of Apple is Apple. Richard, thank you very much. Have a great day. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Now to more of this morning's top stories. Google is warning employees that they could lose pay or eventually even be fired if they do not comply with the company's COVID vaccination policy. According to internal documents seen by CNBC, leadership has told workers they have until December 3rd to declare their vaccine status and upload proof. The document adds that employees who have not complied with the vaccine rules by the company's January 18th deadline will be placed on paid administrative leave for 30 days. But after that, they'll be put on unpaid personal leave for up to six months and could eventually be terminated. Unpaid leave for six months. Also, basically, you're being fired temporarily. Also happening now, several airline CEOs are set to go before lawmakers on the impact of the government's $54 billion in COVID aid. American Airlines Doug Parker, Southwest Gary Kelly, United Scott Kirby, as well as Delta's chief operating officer will testify how their companies used taxpayer money and update an ongoing staffing issues. Parker will tell the Senate Commerce Committee at the airline, the money rather saved the airline industry that according to testimony seen in advance by Reuters and Chinese President Xi Jinping and Russian President Vladimir Putin meeting virtually today. And according to the Kremlin, Paris scheduled to discuss tensions with Europe and what they call, quote, aggressive U.S. and NATO rhetoric. Meeting comes Beijing facing pressure from the West over human rights. And Moscow's challenge over its buildup of more than 100,000 troops right on the border of Ukraine, which is sending natural gas prices soaring once again. All right, staying with China and a developing story this morning... The Financial Times reporting that the U.S. is looking to add more Chinese technology and healthcare companies to its economic blacklist, including the world's largest maker of drones, DJI. It comes after the House vote yesterday, calling out China over its continued use of forced Uyghur labor. Yunus Xun joining us now from Beijing with more on China's response to these claims. Yunus.
8: Thanks, Brian. Well, the FT cites Uh, sources as saying that the Treasury Department is going to put eight companies on its Chinese military industrial complex companies blacklist on Thursday for their alleged involvement in the surveillance of the Muslim minority known as the Uyghurs in the far west. Now these companies range from facial recognition to cloud computing. Uh, You mentioned drones. There are already 60. Chinese entities on the list and U.S. investors are barred from taking financial stakes in any of them. The UK paper also said that the Commerce Department would add another two dozen Chinese companies to its entity list, which is essentially going to restrict American companies from exporting to them. Uh, Separately, the Biden administration is considering tighter rules to limit American companies from selling to China's chip giant SMIC. Now, those reports. Um, hit healthcare as well as tech stocks, not only here in China, but also in Hong Kong. Uh, Chinese healthcare index dropped to 3% at one point. Uh, Hong Kong's fell by 8%. And, uh, and what's really interesting, Brian, is that investors are appearing to be very concerned about the influence that the U.S. still has on a lot of these Chinese companies that are thinking of listing or that have listed because of all of these potential blacklists as well as the potential for delisting.
1: Yeah, as we saw in the U.S. with Didi Shasheng uh, delisting from the NYC over pressure from Beijing. On a separate note, uh, and I'm going to throw an audible here, Eunice, because I know you can handle anything. I want to talk about COVID. China has <laughs> zero COVID policy. We've seen it impact supply chains as well. Uh, What are you hearing about Omicron, some of the new strains? uh, Because if you guys start to get case pops again, there's a very real chance the ports could shut down again, is there not? Yeah,
3: that's
8: right. And the first Omicron case was detected at a port uh, not very far from here in Beijing in a city called Tianjin. And immediately after that, uh, Beijing authorities had uh, clamped down. On that case and on the port, they were warning um, travelers uh, not to uh, go to port cities, especially during this big travel period that's coming up ahead of the Lunar New Year. Um, Also, we had another case in uh, Guangdong. So this is a big manufacturing hub, and there already are Mm -hmm. several manufacturers in the country who have shut down, suspended production. Um, A lot of that is also because of Delta COVID uh, uh, Delta strain outbreaks, but. It's still Omicron is on everyone's mind.
1: Yeah, but COVID is in some ways COVID, whether it's Delta, Omicron or the next one. But if we see the port shut down again, we could see that backlog just get worse. Yunus Ying. Uh, Yunus thank you very much. Joining us from Beijing. Yunus, appreciate it. Have a great day. Take care. All right, coming up, expanding Internet access across America. Elon Moyes here with some new details on how to link up all Americans. And as we head to break, some other big headlines happening right now. J.P. Morgan becoming the latest major company to ramp up restrictions on unvaccinated employees. According to reports, the bank telling those employees based in New York City to work remotely ahead of the company's December 27th deadline for private employers to enact vaccine requirements. That's from NYC. Neiman Marcus reportedly looking at splitting itself into three separate companies. According to the New York Post, the plan would involve separating the retailer's website from its brick-and-mortar operation, as well as spinning off its Bergdorf-Goodman line of stores. And if you own crypto, you may have seen a lot, and we mean a lot, more money in your wallet yesterday. Coin prices on Coinbase and CoinMarketCap briefly, well, they went bonkers, showing gains in the millions or even trillions for some. We are sorry to say it is not real. Both companies say the issues have been resolved, but did not provide an explanation on exactly what the heck happened. Maybe you were lucky enough to sell. Who knows? If anybody out there got that money, let us know. We won't out you. but We'd love to hear from you. Wex, back right after this. All right, welcome back. We are just getting new details of a push by executives from several top tech companies to expand access to broadband Internet across America. Leaders from companies including Airbnb, Square, Etsy, and eBay are set to meet with the Biden administration on the matter today. Lon Moy joining us now with more on the plan and her exclusive conversation with the Commerce Secretary, Lan.
6: Well, good morning, Brian. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo is turning to the tech industry for help as the administration prepares to deliver billions of dollars in funding for broadband. The CEOs of Etsy and eBay, one of Airbnb's co-founders, and the CFO of Block will participate in a virtual roundtable with Raimondo this afternoon. They're going to talk about how increasing access can benefit their bottom line and the economy more broadly. Now, the administration's goal is to reach universal broadband coverage by 2030. Raimondo told me she's committed to that deadline, but cautioned the process takes time.
0: People will start to see relief pretty quickly, but this will take us years in order to get it all out the door effectively um, to achieve the vision of making sure every single American has high-speed, affordable broadband.
6: Raimondo said that improving access not only helps the biggest players, but also small businesses, especially those run by women.
0: You know, women are still not back in the workforce the way we were pre-pandemic. And one way for women to make some money in a flexible way, you know, and still be able to be there for their families is on selling on Etsy, being a host on Airbnb. But you cannot do that without broadband. O'Brien, well,
6: the majority of hosts and sellers on Airbnb and Etsy are female. So the administration sees this money as not just about technology, but also as a way to create a more inclusive economy. Back over to you.
1: All right, Alon, you said that commerce will be spending billions in taxpayer money. Do we know exactly how much and if that an amount, whatever it is, it will be enough to accomplish what they want to do?
6: Yeah, so the infrastructure package included $65 billion for broadband funding. Roughly $40 billion of that is being funneled through commerce. There was another $40 billion uh, or so that states could use from that American Rescue Plan that passed in the beginning of the year. So all told, there's roughly $100 billion for the administration to use to ramp up this effort. That should be enough money if you assume that there are about 14 million people who don't have access to high-speed Internet. There are a lot of outside experts who question whether that number of 14 million is actually too low. The number could be as much as 42 million or perhaps even higher than that. And if those numbers are higher than the administration thinks, obviously it's gonna cost more to get them connected. So everyone is really waiting on some better data around who has access to the Internet and who doesn't. And that will help determine whether all of this money they're pumping into this, pro- uh, to this program yeah. is really going to be enough to make a difference.
1: An important conversation there. And I'm assuming, Alon, we could see the, the whole thing on CNBC.com, yes or no? Uh, you'll be
6: able to see the full story on CNBC.com. Check out the website.
1: That is a yes, Alon. Thank you very much. All right, on deck. The most appetizing stock trend that nobody else is talking about. It is your morning RBI, and it's coming up. Plus, why some big tech stocks may be a big-time place to avoid next year. Satira, CIO, is here with that. We're back after this. Well, today's RBI is either going to make you hungry, thirsty, both, or maybe a little bit of the opposite, given it's not even 6 a.m. Because today's most random thing is a look at what has been a hot stock market trend lately. And there definitely is an under-the-radar trend that you may not have noticed. I mean, we certainly didn't until we ran the numbers. And that trend is that canned meat, candy, and cans of beer are in demand, or at least their stocks are. On a random walk down Wall Street last night, came across this little chicken nugget. One of the best-performing stocks this month is Tootsie Roll up 21%. Then we noticed also kicking pigtail. It's Hormel, maker of Spam. That stock has gained 16% in two weeks, making it the best performing stock in the S&P 500. You go, Hormel. And why not wash down that dinty more beef stew and corn nuts, maybe a piece of candy, with a Sam Adams? Because Boston beer shares are up 15% in December. And it's not just stuff you eat or drink at home that investors have been gobbling up. Other top stocks lately include California Beer and Burger Joint, BJ's Restaurants, up 20%, as well as Dave & Buster's, up 17%. Think about it. Burgers, beer, and smoked meats, if that is not a trend you can sink your teeth into, I don't know what is. But you do wonder if gyms and exercise stocks are going to have to be the next play after this one. Random but interesting. All right, let's stick with the food theme and the markets because Satira Investment Management is out with their 2022 projections and they are treating their outlook like a multi-course meal with a dash of the economy sprinkled in and maybe even a side of bonds. Let's bring in now Gene Goldman. He is Chief Investment Officer for Satira and joins us now. Uh, Gene, welcome. We tried to tie them together. I'm not going to ask you if you're buying shares a Tootsie Roll, but do you think sort of these, you know, these cyclical type companies, consumer staples, not exactly sexy, that they could be the winners In 2022,
10: today um we love cyclical stocks, you know, value and cyclical stocks. So really, you know, those likely to benefit from the reflation trade. Think about this recovery we're in right now. This recovery is so different than the last one. This one is more growth, more inflation. The last one was like a long, stretched out one. And we think valuations for cyclicals are very cheap. If you kind of pivot into which cyclicals do we like? We love energy, we love materials, we love industrials. Again, the reflation trade is still on despite the Fed. Some, you know, we'll talk about that later, hopefully. Also, you know, you think about the three worst performing sectors in the S&P in the last six months are energy, materials, and industrials, despite the fact that earnings estimates for next year are really moving higher for all three sectors. And energy is one of our favorite sectors. You know, I know some people say oil is going to hit $150 a barrel. We don't see that, but we do see a nice trend upward. Inventories are falling on rising demand, too little capital spending for oil and gas projects. And think about this, U.S. um, oil production is about 2 million barrels less per day than it was pre-pandemic. Again, it's a good recipe to our 2020 theme, a good recipe for a good perspective in those cycles.
1: Well, and the CEOs we've talked about and heard about gotten smarter, returning cash to shareholders, not just getting dumb and putting more money into the ground. Uh, What about the Federal Reserve, though, Gene? I mean, they're up today. That's going to be the question. Do they crush the rally? Do they crush banks? Do they help banks?
10: Think about today. So today we are going to see the most hawkish dove plot um, pivot ever by the Fed. And, you know, you, you know, there's no surprise. You know, basically Powell came out a couple of weeks ago and said, listen, we made a mistake about transitory. And also, if you look at our tool, we have a tool called the Fedometer that we, pr- we produced a few months ago. We produced on an ongoing basis. This tool anticipates Fed policy shifts based on market conditions. And this tool, the Fedometer, is screaming we need a more hawkish Fed. One example data point, the Fed funds rate is too low. You look at the spread between the Fed funds rate and CPI, this is at record wide. So what does that say for the Fed today? Three things. Number one, everyone expects it. We expect Um, expect the Fed to double their taper. This puts an end to tapering around at the end of Q1 as opposed to Q2. Second of all, Fed raises inflation estimates. And the third of all, more dots suggest more uh, likely of a rate hike in 2022. Think about the June dot plot. Seven Fed people said yes yeah think about september dot plot nine today we're going to see many more going to cross the dark side and say fed rate hikes for next year again our cons- the consensus is two market is saying maybe three we are really saying two inflation yes it's high right now it should moderate to an extent year-over-year effects yep. but as you look at really next year different goods are going to slow down
1: gene goldman satira cio g we appreciate you coming on with the outlook watching energy watching the fed watching those dot plots gene thank you Appreciate that, and by the way, folks, just so you know, if you're thinking of dots just as that delicious candy, the dot plots are a your memory for your newbie. Is just where the Fed members post their expectations of where interest rates might be. You know, a couple of years or a couple of quarters out, kind of like a kind of like a Fed light bright. When you just plug those numbers in, remember that. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I'm obviously going insane. I'll see you tomorrow. Squawk box of the gang picking up your Fed Day coverage next. Have a spectacular Wednesday. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.